What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. Today we got uh, Jonathan Bohm from Catman Outdoors. You probably know him from Catman Outdoors. You really don't see his name a lot <laughs> all over the place. Everybody just knows him as Catman. Out of Tennessee, does a lot of public land hunting, does a lot of scouting, just puts in a ton of time in the woods. And uh, so today we're going to pick his brain on early season. And um, if you haven't already, go check out his YouTube channel right away because there's a lot more information there and having that visual always really helps um you've got instagram and facebook all that fun stuff as well but personally i, I enjoy watching your youtube channel just because I, I i'm a visual dude so i like seeing like when you're talking about the acorns and the size and and mm -hmm. looking at different crp fields and things like that um i just like seeing that especially like that super funky buck that uh you had on video it had like no points on it it was should have been like an eight point and had like nothing yeah on. it's a five point yeah yeah i got yeah. a buddy i got a buddy down there he's got him on trail camera too uh that's a that's an interesting deer <laughs> right someone's gonna shoot him this year and be like man this is a funky buck yeah um, but uh but yeah man so starting out i'd just like to to start out with kind of give everybody like a little slight brief history in general, where you are, what kind of terrain you're hunting, and um, yeah, and go from there. 
so I'm from the Nashville area. Uh, grew up here and got into hunting kind of on my own about uh, give or take 10 years ago and just kind of took off with it. Kind of, you know, they say you got bit by the bug and I got bit pretty hard and uh, <laughs> learned a lot uh, through um, just researching online, watching YouTube videos. I got on uh, Tennessee Deer, on tndeer.com on their forums and, and uh, people put up with all my questions and everything there for a while and I learned a lot from them and uh, just kind of went out there and got after it. But uh, the kind of terrain I usually hunt is is more or less the Nashville Basin and the Highland Rim, which is like ridge and hollow type terrain big big hardwoods mixed with rolling hills agriculture um a little bit of swamp not very much uh, a little bit of flatland but mostly rolling hills give or give or take you know depending on where i'm at and i and i like to move around so i'm not always just hunting in one small area i'll get up and drive a couple hours to hunt uh pretty regular so that's kind of what that's kind of the area that i'm in that i spend most of my time Okay. And then, and then it's mainly public land. All yeah, public I would say, or... I would say the majority of it. I do have a couple of private properties to hunt. Uh, one of them being my backyard. I rent a place on, on like 60 something acres and, and I'll go, that's just kind of my leisurely spot where I'm like, yeah. I'm going to go, go shoot a doe or I'm going to sit out here and see if a buck chases a doe, depending on the time of year. So yeah. I've got, I've got some options, but, uh, mostly like on public land just because of the huge amount of it across the state yeah no that makes sense and that is a that is a prime uh prime opportunity when you can when you can lease a house that's on acreage and they give you hunting rights <laughs> as well yeah i got a I got a buddy who did that and it's uh, i'm jealous for sure because <laughs> you ain't gotta buy it and yeah. it's just built in yep Yep, it's it's a sweet little setup for sure. I like yeah. it. All right. So um the first okay, so after going over that, um next thing is kind of in general just getting into scouting. So for people who are scouting over the summer, um I per personally prefer to do a lot of my scouting in like February, March, and April, and then kind of like what I want to say, like um top it off or, or just double check everything in August and September. Yeah. Like that's what I like to do. Um, but if for people who are just getting out there and scouting this summer and getting after it, um, where do you begin and, and where do you start and what do you look for and how are you going to find deer this fall? Well, there I'll do one of two things. I'll do two things every year. I'll go to some of my regular spots that I know, and just poke around, maybe watch some bean fields or, or get up in the woods and, and see what kind of stuff I can find. And then I'll also spend time looking on the map, usually on Onyx and uh, looking at new areas that I want to check out for the upcoming season because I always like to mix it up a little bit. And then I'll drop pins of, of areas that look interesting to me. Usually looking for, if it's a new area, looking for something diverse that's got a, it's got a mix of habitat. Uh, not to say that big woods is bad, but I like I like finding an edge of something at least to work with as a starting point. And if it is big woods, I'm looking more for terrain-based stuff when I'm map scouting. But 
I'll drop some pins. I usually type in the description point of interest and drop a pin so that I can go back and look because otherwise I would forget that I ever saw that spot on the map. Sure. Um, and then when I get time, usually during the weekend or if I get a day during the week, I'll go out and just start walking around and, and looking for deer sign, looking for potential food sources, uh, oak trees, uh, browse. I like to pay a lot of attention to the low green browse on the bottom like near the ground because if there's a lot of deer in the area you know usually be browsed on a little heavier down low um, and of course you know different types of oak trees and uh, you know, I'll just go from there and, and see what I find yeah okay um, I got a few questions out of that from you so so on the front end you know before you even really step foot on a property you put you're pulling it up on a satellite map or, or it's topographical map or a hybrid or something like onyx right so you, mm -hmm. you're poking around on satellite maps and you said you're looking for edges like what are you what are you talking about exactly when you're looking for an edge like is it just woods meets field or or what yeah anything like that woods meets thicker woods woods meets a field uh, crp meets a field crp meets hardwoods pines meet hardwoods uh, creeks are edges too. Deer will travel alongside creeks and then they will cross on certain areas, you know, where, where it's easier to cross. Sure. Um, just any kind of edge of anything really and anything habitat related. And why, like, why is that? Why are you looking along those edges? I guess because uh, deer, deer are creatures of the edges. They, they like to they like to run along the edge of, of different types of habitat and they also a lot of times there's some type of food source along that edge because it allows for, you know, a different types of vegetation to grow. And whether it be a, an ag field, like a fresh cut cornfield, or if you're on the edge of a pine thicket and there's some big oaks along an old fence row or something like that, um, like old fence rows in the middle of the woods, you know, they, they're pretty subtle on a satellite map, but but if you got a bunch of young hardwoods that doesn't have much oaks or acorns, and then you got an old fence row with one big row of mature oaks, that's always something to look for. Um, just anything really, any kind of edge yeah. the deer tend to gravitate towards. No, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I, I personally like, I really enjoy creeks um, mm -hmm. for, for two reasons. One is it kind of really narrows narrows the point of crossing for deer right there's there's only limited crossing spots you can actually really hone in on where they're kind of funneling down towards to cross yeah. right that does depend on the creek some creeks have got yes. that perfect crossing and some of them are just kind of they cross anywhere but right yeah, yeah. i don't I like the creeks that are like an inch deep but if they're like yeah. you know a couple feet that's like perfect the other reason i really uh, yeah. like them is that it's it's uh it stops a lot of hunters from crossing them too, you know, especially if they're like three feet deep or so like that's kind of, cause I like to wear hip boots. And when I go out there, like if I know I'm going for like a Creek crossing, I can wear a hip boot and I get to get in the water, like, you know, three feet deep or so. And it's not like I'm wearing waders so I can still walk a decent distance, but that stops so many hunters from crossing. And if you can cross that and then get into a nice little spot on the other side, that's been very helpful for me and, and successful and yeah. just getting to see a lot more deer on public. I would say it's not always that 
that way, uh, at least around where I hunt, because we got a lot of broken up properties and chances okay. are someone can come in from the other side of the creek as well. Oh, yeah. But it, it all depends. I mean, you can use that to get away from people. It just depends on the property you're hunting. Sure. And uh, I do like using a canoe or a kayak or something to get up a creek if it's possible without, you know, too much work. If I can just slide up in there quiet and tie off on the bank and just creep up there if i'm going to hunt close to the creek it's a good quiet way to get in there yeah no i uh, that makes a lot of sense um the other thing you brought up right away was when you're looking at like a map you said you like to if it's a big woods you're looking more for topography changes so yeah. are you just looking for like you know big hills big valleys what are you looking for in that sense uh, typically I'm looking at the secondary points off the main ridge or if there is a good saddle. Some of our terrain around here is ridge and hollow where you got big long ridges with a lot of secondary points coming off of them and not many saddles. So, so the deer utilize those points quite a bit. And, but if you do find a saddle between two high ridges where it dips down and that's the one place the deer can cross, that's, that can be a money spot just at any time of year to catch deer movement. Um, if you can tell on the map, which you usually can, if there is a clear cut or maybe a stand of pine trees in the big woods, uh, always check out the edge of that because the deer may be bedding in the pines or if it's a clear cut, they're most likely bedding in there for the cover. And then again, there could be some kind of food source along the edge that, yeah. So I will look for edges in that type of big woods, but if it's true big woods where everything's the same, you're looking mostly for terrain based setups. Gotcha. And then as far as like those secondary points, is that generally like bedding locations or is that kind of where, where they'll feed on acorns or, or what, it, what is it about those that are popular? It could, it could be both. Um, I've had, I've had them bed sometimes they'll bet out on the point looking down into the hollow so they can see you coming or see anything coming sometimes if you're walking down a ridge and you got points going off either side sometimes they'll bed down just in the in the divot between points right where the hollow starts i've had them bed there too uh just where they're they're using the terrain to hide because they're in sure. open woods and uh actually the first buck i killed last season was real early and it was some pretty mild terrain, but there was still little little drainages in the woods, and I was on an oak flat between those drainages and some ag. And the ag was a good ways off on another property, but it may have played a part in why I killed that deer. But I think, and I never went up, up to actually jump the deer, but I think they were bedded just in the, that little divot in the terrain, uh, just out of sight because that's where all the deer came from and I never walked far enough to bump anything I just got up on that oak flat got as close as I was comfortable to that drainage just to where I couldn't see down in it and then climbed the tree and then the deer around sunset or whatever would just kind of appear from that direction that's pretty cool did you have uh had you previously scouted that or was that just all like oh, I think this could be right I, I had scouted it once or twice and, and um, you know, I, I guess the first actual sit where I was hunting is when I saw what the deer were doing and that's when I realized I need to be extra careful around those drainages because I think that's where they were coming from. Gotcha. No, that's, that's a new one. I haven't, I don't hunt, man, 
it's been a long time since I hunted like a big mature woods. Um, yeah. So most of the woods I hunt, it's it's tough to see twenty yards. Uh, yeah, and yards. I hunted a lot of that stuff too. Uh, honestly, I'm still not very experienced with big woods hunting. I, I learn a little bit every year, so yeah. I'm definitely not an expert in that area. I learned to I learned to deer hunt around thickets, cedar thickets, uh, young young hardwoods, CRP type stuff, and I, I learned to you know sit on the ground with a rifle or, or get up a tree where it was just open enough to shoot with a bow. And I, I killed a lot of does and stuff that way, hunting thick stuff. I still like hunting thick stuff just because we got so much of it around here. Yeah. Yeah, the nice thing about it is is when you see a deer, they're in range, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I like to set up right on top of them. I like having them in my lap. Yeah. No. I've actually heard people talk about those little ditches and divots in like rolling hill type stuff too, where there really isn't a whole lot of of – timber or anything you just got those little drainages and those little ditches that those deer can drop down into and they're not up on the top in the wind and they're you know they're in the shade they're out of the wind and they're out of you know um like uh what is it skylining themselves or anything like that and they just yeah. down in there but i guess that that makes a lot of sense that they do that in big woods as well if there's not a whole lot on the understory and they want to hide you know that's a great spot to do it yeah, and I think a lot of times they also will bet on the side of a hill, like on a, whether it's on a point or just the side of a ridge overlooking a bottom. So say you're coming in from a bottom and you got big woods ahead of you, and they, there may be some deer up there uh, just sitting on, up on the hillside and they could see you coming from a mile away and you, they're, they're gone before you get there. <laughs> I think they do that. I, I don't have too much experience um, hunting that type of stuff, at least not being able to tell exactly where the deer were bedded because the, the biggest challenge around here is they don't bed the same place all the time they they, they can really just sit down right. just about anywhere with all, between all the thick cover and the rolling terrain they can just plop down wherever they want so <laughs> the the trends i have seen at least with the ridge and hollow type terrain is, is they seem to bed either on the points or just off in the in the drainage off the side of the ridge gotcha i want to talk about bedding but I don't want to talk about it yet. <laughs> so, yeah. so we'll like, that would have been a great transition, but it's, I, I want to talk about that a little bit later on. So okay. um, after, after you've sat down and you've take the, taken a look at the satellite map, you've dropped all your pins and everything. Um, you said previously that you like to go and poke around the areas that you've hunted before, right. And kind of check things out. What are, mm -hmm. you know, if you've known, you know, an area pretty well, you kind of, you, you have a pretty good idea as to where you're going to sit or where the good spots are in that area. What are you going to double check? What are you going to go look at? Uh, depending on the time of year, if it's like right now, I'll be looking up, you know, use binoculars or whatever and look for trees that actually have acorns on them. Um, if there's ag fields or some kind of open area to watch in the evening, I'll, I'll try to get eyes on some bucks or get eyes on some deer and, and see that they're in there, see what kind of deer I got to work with. And I may go in and hang a trail camera occasionally as well. Okay. But, just to, um, yeah, just to double check and see what's going on. Yeah. Are just kind of get an idea. Food sources outside of ag fields and acorns that you're really looking for? Uh, I mean, deer browse just about everywhere they go. So there may be certain, uh, I would say if you've got fields, but they're not row crops, I mean, 
a good a good hay field can have a lot of clover in it and stuff that, that I would consider like a destination food source. And then there's food that they will eat on their way from bedding to a destination food source. So let's say let's say the destination where they're heading in the evening is is a cut cornfield or a big white oak tree that's dropping like crazy. But maybe they're getting there a little bit late and you want to get back closer to bedding. Let's say you find a persimmon tree along a pretty good trail between bedding and that destination food source. We, uh, persimmon trees can be hit or miss, but that's the, kind of, that's the kind of place where they usually will hit it. And then you're looking for, if it's during season, you're, you're looking for, for fresh deer sign that they're, they're eating the persimmons. If it's before season, you're just looking to see if there's fruit on the tree because they don't all have fruit. So when I'm scouting, if I see a persimmon tree, I'm looking up, looking for green persimmons. And if I think it's in a good location, I'll drop a pin there and come back during season and see if they're actually hitting it or not. Gotcha. And the reason you're, you're kind of moving back off that destination is because they're getting to that destination food source, that, that alfalfa field or soybean field in the dark. So you're trying to catch yeah. them in the daylight, right? So that little persimmon yeah. tree will be a daylight active food source. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay, gotcha. I just wanted to clarify that in case. Okay, so then, so that's kind of what you're looking for in, in your existing spots, in your new spots. So, you know, you drop all your pins on your edges, um, you drop your pins and if you're doing topography, and then you're just going out there getting boots on the ground and, and taking a couple hours and just walking everywhere. Yeah. And if I can, I'll take a whole day and just walk and see what I find. Look for stuff that look for deer sign and, and potential food sources that stick out. And of course, habitat changes and terrain features that I might not have been able to see on the map. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, do you worry about like, bumping deer or scaring deer off or or anything like that when you're doing this type of scouting right now yeah no it's it's good if i'm bumping deer that tells me they're in there okay um, it's not going to affect what they do a month or two down the road you know so and i'm not going to be in there every day pressuring them so if i'm going to walk taking a day and walking a whole area and dropping pins i mean if i bump deer that's a good sign that they're that they're comfortable in there okay no, I, and I asked that because I, I have the same thought. Like, I like to, when I bump deer, that means I know they're there. Exactly like what you're saying, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Um, but some people are like, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go in there and all that stuff. But then my thing to them is the, how are you going to learn? How are you going to figure it out? Yeah, you've got you've to know where the deer want to be. And, and, a lot, and part of that is bumping them because you're getting up in their bedroom and getting up where they live and you're going to bump them sometimes and that's just part of it but they're deer they're used to being spooked by things and, and you know they'll come back even if it takes them a day if you spook them bad enough but a lot of times if you're in the middle of the day and they're bedded down they'll get up and run off and and they don't stop to look back sometimes and, and they don't even spook that bad they just run off because they heard something coming they'll be back yeah no I, that makes sense and another good point is you know, uh, that you made is that satellite maps and topo topographical maps can only tell you so much. Like when you're out there on the ground, you can find things that you can't find from your phone. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you just, you can see more, you understand the deer trails and exactly how they use them. 
um well not necessarily exactly but you can see their tracks you can actually see the trails and all that um and i think that gives you a real advantage compared to other hunters who are just coming in from a satellite map perspective right they don't have their boots on the grounds and you might understand like where that old fence row is that holds all the big oaks and all the mature oaks that are actually dropping yeah. you can't tell that from a satellite map yeah. yeah a lot of times you can tell you can tell more mature trees on the satellite but you can't tell what's dropping and, and if there's good deer sign around it you know you've got to go out there and actually find where the deer are and where the food actually is you can look on the map and see potential food like a crop field you can see on the map or you can see some big hardwoods and, and assume there's oaks in there but you still got to go out and find exactly where they are and, and if the deer are in there yeah no that makes sense so when you're out there wandering around and checking things out what makes you decide to go oh, i i should drop a trail camera here what makes you do that versus just say oh this is a good spot i'm not worried about dropping a camera um to be honest if i've got a camera in my pocket i'll hang it <laughs> i don't run a whole lot of cameras but sometimes okay. I'll be I'll be in an area where I would like to hang one, but I don't know where, and I'll throw it in my pocket if I got one with me. And I say I I, I don't know exactly where I want to hang it, but I want to put a camera in this area because I think there might be a good buck in the area. I mean, I'll just look for a good trail crossing or, or something that the deer that a lot of deer will pass through, and then put okay. a camera on that. Sure. No, that's something that I always like contemplate because I got one camera and I just and I've and I've walking around and I'm like, ooh, this spot looks good. I want to drop this camera here. And then I go, but there might be another good spot in 20 minutes. Do I drop it here or do I keep going? <laughs> um, well, that's that's a good that's a good point. Um, if you're going in one way and coming out the same way, then just remember, if I don't find a good spot 20 minutes later, I'll just hang it here on the way out. If you're running a loop, then you just got to make up your mind and hang the camera. And, if if it right. looks like a if it looks like a bang up deer trail, say two really good trails cross, maybe it's a saddle in big woods, or maybe it's an edge in a farm country, whatever it may be. If you find a spot and you're like, yeah, there's there's deer coming through here a lot, then just just put the camera up and see what you get. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's really what it comes down to is is just making a decision and doing it, and then yeah. you know coming back in two, three, four weeks and just checking it and seeing how it went, right? yeah um so when you're walking around um what makes you what makes you think there might be a good buck in the area are you like seeing scrapes or and rubs from past years or are you just thinking you know we're pretty far back it's pretty deep and there's probably something bopping around in here um i mean old sign is good but you never know what got killed out last year during gun season mm-hmm. so old sign could mean there's an even bigger buck this year or it could just mean there was a good one last year and it got shot so uh, if there's a lot of old sign it's probably a good area that future big bucks will hang out in so maybe last year's two or three year old is is finally getting pretty good size and we'll use the same area um i think that's where watching if you've got ag to hunt or if you're hunting around agriculture if you got bean fields um, or even hay fields but but soybeans are like drugs to the deer if you've got some soybeans to watch that's a great way to get a visual idea of what's out there 
and, and sure. watch it, you know, from 30 minutes before sunset until dark. And uh, you, you'll see a whole lot of the deer in the area, uh, especially halfway through the summer when the beans are getting up there and all the deer are, are uh, aware of them. If you don't have soybeans, I mean, trail cameras help, or if you got some other vantage point to watch deer in the evening, uh, that helps. Uh, if you found if you found a shed, if you went shed hunting back in February, March, and you found some nice sheds, then there's a good chance there's a good one in there this year because he made it through season. So, little yeah. things like that. If you're not if you're not actually seeing a big one or getting pictures of them, then I mean, a lot of old buck signs always a good place to start because it means there's bucks using the area pretty good during the rut. Gotcha. No, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I like that. I mean, I should have thought of that, but yeah, finding sheds obviously means that they survived, right? And that they're moving mm -hmm. through. Do you ever notice, like, you know, if there is an absence of, you know, soybeans or alfalfa or hay fields or whatever, do you ever just watch CRP fields and end up seeing good deer in them or no? Um, my backyard, one of the fields behind my place is kind of like that. It hasn't been cut in over a year. And I have gone out a couple times this year and, and seen a bachelor group of younger bucks. The big one, I've got a big one on camera, but he hasn't been out with the rest of them. So, uh, yeah, it can be if you've got a good vantage point where you can look down. The thing with CRP fields in the summer is you got some real tall weeds and you, it's going to be hard to see, at least around here. Uh, yeah. Stuff gets real tall and real thick when they don't cut fields. So uh, I like hunting over CRP later in the season with a rifle when the weeds have died out and it's more just like broom sedge or just tall grasses and you can see the deer a little better because it's thinned out. But this time of year, I mean, unless you got a good vantage point, it's going to be hard to see anything in a CRP field. Sure. Do you ever use like ag fields that are off the public that are oh, on yes. private land, but you use them as like the destination food source? Yeah. Deer don't know property lines and, and I like to hunt around property lines because going back to that edge thing, there's usually more, almost always an edge of some sort on a property line, especially in farm country. It may be that old fence row. It may be woods to ag or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, I'm often hunting pretty close to a property line. And yeah, and those, those private ag fields can be a, a big factor in deciding where to set up. Yeah, no, that, I bring that point up because as we're talking about ag fields, when I first really started getting into public land hunting, um, about I've been hunting for, I don't know, 17 years now, 18 years, but I really dived into public land about same time as you about 10 years ago, uh, eight years ago when I got done with college. Um, I had private land that I could hunt when I was out in college. And then when I came back, um, I, you know, the private land was almost two hours away. So started doing a lot more public yeah. land. And for the first year or two, I was only looking for the ag on the public. Like I was looking for those soybean fields and stuff on the public. And then I was like, why am I doing that? Because all this ag over on the private clearly holds deer. I know they're going that way. Why don't I just try to intercept them before they get there? Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. And that, that's a lot of what I do when I'm hunting around farm country. A lot of times I'm, I'm hunting those types of setups. Um, I will say if you've got thicker woods on public and then it butts up to private, that's an ag field, 
Uh, a lot of times those deer in the early season when the beans are still green or the corn is fresh cut before acorns are coming down hard, uh, a lot of times those deer will bed right on the edge of the field. So if you're if the field is the property line, then it can be pretty tough to even set up on that type of deal. But uh, if they've got to come through, you know, say a little patch of open woods with a little bit of browse, and then there's some really good bedding cover, you know, a couple hundred yards back on public. If you can get in that little staging area, then then that's that's when it can be a really good setup. Yeah. No, I I hear you there. I have um. I have a spot that I really like for a multitude of reasons. Um, and I've always had cameras on it and I've always liked it, but I've never, I never hunted it until this last year. And I had a few doe encounters, but I know there's good bucks in there, but I think I was in there too late. You know, I think someone else had come in and put the pressure on before me. I don't, I didn't see any like gut piles or anything. So I don't think they killed any of the good bucks. Um, I think they just got in there before me. So I'm going there. Like that's one of my opening weekend sits is kind of yeah. getting into this spot, but it's, uh, you got all this egg when you park, you, you literally park your vehicle between the egg and, um, and the woods. And there's a big CRP field. So you walk down the, you walk away from the egg down the edge of the CRP and then it's, and then it's a pretty open woods. Um, that goes for, I don't know, 80, 90, a hundred yards or so. And then it becomes this thick wall of just thorns and briars and all sorts of, you know, just stuff. But that's like also, the, that's the public private barrier. Oh, really? Yeah. And so pretty much they got, they come out of that private and that's only before it hits. Then that, that private is only maybe 20 acres and then it hits another CRP field on public on the other side. And so all these deer trails are just funneling right into that, that chunk. And so I just got to, um, sit that, that open woods right on the edge of that thick stuff, right. In between the, the public and the, the private egg on the other side. And, um, like it, you know, right now, if I go out there, I dropped a camera there the other week. Um, if I go out there and check it, it's going to, I know it's going to have pictures of decent bucks on it. And, and I'm not one to always judge the, the size of a deer by the, the thickness of a tree that it rubs, but some of these trees, like they are tore up and they're tall, they're tall, which is what makes me really interested in it is that, you know, they're not just like thigh height. They're almost like belly button to chest height you know, and mm-hmm. it's like four or five feet up and you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. That's an older deer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hunt, I almost killed a good buck a couple years ago uh, on a, it was a similar property line. There was no ag involved, but uh, there was some CRP down through the woods, but I came in off the road into this strip of hardwoods, nice hardwoods, but it's not very wide, just a narrow strip of woods. And then the right on the property line is where it got thick. And it was early, early during gun season in the morning. I had a couple of does work right down the property line, kind of quartering away from me. And then I had a nice like nine or 10 point buck come straight off private towards me. And I was getting getting my gun ready. And he looked and saw those two does going down the fence line. And he turned and chased him back on the private. And I never saw him again. Ah. 
but yeah, it was it was one of those things, kind of like as long as nobody's you know walking all over that thicket, you know, pushing deer around, it'll it'll usually be somewhat of a sanctuary because it's so thick, people don't want to go in there. Yeah, no, and I I I don't think anybody hunts it. Um, I didn't see a lot of times you'll see um tree stands right on the edge, right? You'll see yeah. private tree stands right there, pretty much saying stay out of here. Um, but I did notice the neighbor. So there's at one point it kind of comes to four corners of public, private, private, private. And uh one of the neighbors has his ladder stand right on that corner as well. So I'm thinking that <laughs> he knows what's up as well, and he's just hoping that they you know, come through his property before they come through the public. Um, yeah. But, uh, but no, so back to, uh, back to just the, the general process of how you figure out where to go. I know you, you're like, you've hinted at it, but haven't really said it. You hunt a multitude of properties, right? Yeah. A ton of different ones. So why why do you why do you not just figure out one and hunt it why do you hunt so many really just for a change of scenery and to learn as much as i can because there's always something right now i'm learning every every year um there are certain areas that are closer to home that i hunt more often just for the convenience and because i want to learn them better but then i mean the season goes on more more people come in and hunt and deer start getting pushed off 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 the property onto other properties and I'm kind of like yeah let me let me switch it up here and go try this new spot you know I've done a for some reason I don't know why I've I've done pretty good in the past coming into a new spot that I've never hunted before scouting it out and hunting uh, I've seemed to do pretty well for, for whatever reason I don't know but something about that new dirt you know kind of gets me freshened up and I seem to seem to get into deer more often than not when I do that for sure. When you mean scouting and hunting, is that like, are you scouting and hunting and they like, and at the exact same time, or are you scouting like a month in advance and then hunting it? Um, or both? Both. Both. <laughs> yeah, uh, often, often the same time I'll be like, Hey, I'm going to go check out this spot and, and, uh, or maybe I'll do deer camp for a few days and I'll, I'll, you know, scout the day before and then hunt for a few days, but scout between hunts. And, uh, I guess something about having that fresh new ground that I've never hunted before. If you hunt the same spots over and over again, you get used to seeing deer in certain places and you kind of get more narrow-minded and, and not willing to try new things on the, on the place that you've been hunting for, for years. So I think yeah. getting out there and getting in some unfamiliar territory really helps you to stay open-minded and, and figure out what the deer are doing. Oh, no, that, I, I, I 100% agree with that in the sense of, it's always fun to put your skills to the test on a different property and see if the same thing that works here works over here, or maybe it's different. And like you said, you might learn something new. One of the reasons that I really started getting after multiple pieces was because I was actually getting pushed out by pressure. Like I yeah. had a bunch of spots that I thought were great. And then all of a sudden like Halloween hits and I was oh, yeah. the only person out there. And now there's six other guys out there and we're kind of contending for the same spot. And it's like, I don't, yeah. I don't want it. That's not why I'm out there hunting. I don't want to, you know, have a MMA yeah. fight in the woods. <laughs> I tend to hunt uh, the places I'm most familiar with. I, I know where most of the pressure usually is during the, 
muzzle loader and rifle season. Um, I would say I, I hunt those more during bow season and then during gun season, I hunt more on the fringes, you know, the overlook spots. Yeah, it may, may be, you know, a good ways back in there, or it may be a spot that you drive by on the road that doesn't even have a parking area. Just somewhere that gets overlooked that's got that good mix of habitat, good good, uh, good cover for bedding, good food sources, and, and obviously you got to go and make sure the deer are actually using that area. But finding those overlooked spots during gun season has helped me a lot. Gotcha. So those, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole nother ball game of those overlook spots um yeah so then the okay um after we've kind of covered um what am i trying to say here the the multitude of properties that you've hunted or that you're looking at how do you even come to figure out which one which ones or which spots you want to hunt during the early season because uh, um, when does Tennessee open? When you when does your opener happen? Fourth Saturday in September every year is is the statewide okay. opener. We got a, a handful of wildlife management areas that might open a, a week early, and then we've got the private land velvet hunt coming up here in about a week and a half, which is the uh, I think this year it's the fifth weekend in August. Okay. So, so we've got that, but for public, for public land, it, most of the state opens the fourth, fourth Saturday in uh, September. Gotcha. So then based on that, I mean, early season for you guys, I always generally think the, the pre-rut pretty much kicks off around October 15th up here or so, maybe a little bit sooner, maybe a little bit later, depending on where you are. Is that pretty similar to you guys? Yeah, you may see a little bit of rutting activity, especially from those little young bucks uh, mid to late October. It starts to really heat up where I'm at. Right here where I live, the peak rut is right dead middle of November. Okay. But then I could drive an hour one way, and it's it's the first or second week in November. I could drive an hour the other way, and it's in December. So it, <laughs> it varies a good bit. Not as much nice. as Alabama. Tennessee's got a lot of different rut timings, but Alabama's even worse. They got crazy. They got a map online of all the different. Yeah, I actually uh, podcasted the other day with uh, Chasing Tails out of Florida. He yeah. said he had he interviewed a guy the other day who shot a buck tending a doe on August fourth. <laughs> down in southern Florida, he's like, "Yeah, the rut down the rut around here is." pretty ridiculous sounds a little too hot i can put up with heat but that sounds a little too hot for me (laughs) dude he's he said that he was like yeah man on a early season sit you're going out and it's 95 degrees you know when you're walking out into the woods oh Um, yeah it was like that here last year when i started hunting it was 97 one day ah it's terrible (laughs) i'm not i'm not a fan no i'll tell you what it i was sweating before i left the parking area but I saw a lot of deer. So ah, nice. If you're in, if you're in the deer, if you're in the deer, it's worth it to me. But <laughs> if you're not seeing anything. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's ain't that the truth. Um. So. Um. What was I going to ask? So how are you? How are we 
the that we got off on that little tangent about the rut but like i mean when you're looking at um when you're looking at the time of year how are you really trying to figure out okay i know you said you love the early season you love hunting the early season before we started this it's like one of your favorites so how are you picking out where to go in those you know two weeks three weeks before the pre-rut really kicks in and, and you kind of shifting gears there like what says to you i'm gonna hunt these you know six spots or something like that um honestly unless i've got a deer camp planned i just you know i just do whatever it's spare of the moment you know i'll look at the <laughs> weather what's the wind doing you know, have I been out and found any food sources? If not, should I go check this spot out? I'll pull out Onyx and look at all my pins and be like, hey, today's a good day to go to this spot. You know, I'll just decide. And depending on how much time I have with work and other stuff, you know, if, if it's a, if it's closer to home, I'll, I'm, I'm more likely to go somewhere closer to home if I'm limited on time. But if I got more time, I'll go spend a day a little farther away from home. Sure. So I just kind of decide as I go depending on weather and uh and what kind of food sources i'm finding gotcha do you have any like spots that you've that you've like habitually sat and that you like like early season like man there's this one spot that i that i always hit regardless oh i've got a spot that i hit um all season long <laughs> i've killed on i've killed on opening day of bow i've killed on new year's day uh it's a, but I call it my doe killing spot. I don't see many bucks. I actually saw the first nice buck ever in there last year during bow season. Never saw huh. him again, but it's, it's a doe killing spot. I won't, I don't want anyone to figure out where it is and go into detail on, but it, it's got some thicker stuff. It, it's, it's got edges, property lines, everything. It's not a big area. It's pretty well overlooked for the most part. You don't see nice. too many people in there and I'll hunt maybe two, three, maybe four times throughout the season. I never overhunt it. I'll just be like one day I've been hunting hard other places and I'll be like, all right, I'm, the wind is good. I'm going to my doe killing spot. And I usually, usually see deer. Sometimes I'll come up empty, but it's, it's a good, it's one of those habitual yeah. spots I go back to every year. Okay. There is a, I, I have a similar spot like that, that I've found. Um, it's a, it's a, a little tiny strip of woods, maybe 40 yards wide. And um, it's between two egg fields on the west side and the east side. On the north side, it's a swamp. And the south side is like a hill that comes up to some houses. So we're wow. kind of on the edge of all these different little pieces. And um, to the far east, there's like a, a pretty there's a road and then there's a swamp so the deer will and then there's a big like a real big egg field on the other side of that swamp and the swamp doesn't have it has no high ground in it but there's just when you drive by it in the winter there's just these there's two or three giant deer trails coming out of that swamp crossing the road and it's from public to public but then they go down this tree line and uh and then they'll bed up on that hill actually right below the houses yeah, like I do like hunting around. I like hunting around uh, developed areas too. If I, if depending on the the place I'm hunting, uh, a lot of times if we got a hundred yard law for public land. You got to be at least a hundred yards from a visible house, unless you have the owner's permission. So usually okay. I don't have the permission. So as long as I'm at least a hundred yards from a house, I do I do like hunting some of those 
thickets or, or overlook spots that are near homes that you would, wouldn't expect people to be hunting because there's, you know, there's kids yelling, dogs barking. People don't like to hunt those kind of areas, but the deer are used to that kind of thing. Right. I've had, I've killed some deer pretty close to houses a bunch of times. Yeah, no, I, and this spot I like to, the the really nice thing that I like about it is if I'm ever, if I ever like get up late or get out the door late in the morning, it's only a morning spot. It's a, it's a terror. I've sat it in the evening. And I don't see anything, but uh, mm-hmm. if I'm running late, I get there and it's maybe like on the long side of five minute walk from the truck. <laughs> oh, that, and yeah. I just, I just drop, I park, I drop down the hill and I set up like, I'm probably just outside of a hundred yards from those houses. Those and, are the uh, best, those are the best spots, the, the easy yeah. walk. And they come, can, they come along the tree line and they work their way right across in front of me at about 20 yards and up the hill below those houses. And if I have a, I forget what wind it is, but if I have the right wind, uh, I get in there and get out of there and they have no idea and they walk right by me. I haven't seen a good buck ever use it, but I have <laughs> seen plenty of does and small bucks come through that piece. And I, that's how my doe kill anybody spots. about it. <laughs> that's how, that's a lot like my doe killing spot. Um, it's got a lot of the same features, and and I can, you know, I can walk five minutes from the truck, and depending on with depending on the wind, I'll hunt different sides of it depending on the wind. But sometimes I might even be fifty yards from my truck. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I'll park a little farther away to get just depending on where what part of it I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a lot like that. I see mostly does and, and young bucks, like last year's fawns that, that didn't get kicked out. And occasionally maybe a nice buck would come through there like last year it did. But yeah, it's just one of those spots where it, it's real deery. You just go in there and there's yeah. always deer in there. And there's some big red oaks in there too. That's a, I need to check those this year to see if they're dropping because that, that's a big factor in how I hunt that spot. There's like two or three big red oaks right where I climb, there's not many places to climb. It's too thick. The, the one good spot, if those red oaks are dropping, it's money for early season. Gotcha. Um, are, are pretty much acorns your favorite food source early? Like if you can target that, that's what you're going after? Yeah, I would say probably red oaks because okay. they start dropping first. Uh, going into mid-October, later October, the white oaks start dropping and if you find a hot white oak, it's better than any red oak. But during the early, early season, most of the time you're only going to find ripe red oak acorns dropping off of a few trees. And, and finding when you find the one the deer are eating, then that's a killing spot usually. Gotcha. And for, for anybody listening, um, how I if you don't know the difference between a red oak and a white oak, um, they obviously look pretty, pretty similar. Um, but red oaks have pointy leaves and white oaks have rounded leaves, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Generally speaking. Yeah. I'm, I'll yeah. actually be doing a video later in October towards November. I would be doing it sooner, but I got to get pictures of all the acorns, but I'll be doing an oak identification series oh, going nice. through some of my favorite ones and a bunch of other ones you may encounter across the Eastern U S forget how many species I've got, but it's over a dozen and I'll just kind of briefly go through each one and how to tell them apart, which one I think are the deer's favorite, which ones drop early. So uh, I pay, I pay close attention to that because certain trees, I won't even look at 
you, you know, won't even give a second glance, but then certain trees I'll be like, yeah, I need to go back and check that because it's got acorns and that might be a hot tree. Got it. Yeah. No, I look forward to watching that. That'll be cool. That's one thing that I got to get a lot better at personally is just like my overall like woodsmanship and identification of plant species and stuff like that. Cause it can, it can really help you um, yeah. understand why deer are doing what they're doing. Yeah. And there's a million different kind of plants out there and I don't know half of them, but knowing a few of the important ones definitely helps. Yeah. Um, so what, what happens if like you're in an area and there's just, there's like acorns kind of like, or there's oak trees like everywhere and there's a ton of acorns. Like, what are you, what are you doing then? Deer sign. Okay. Going, you know, you may have to burn half a day to find a spot if you, if you scouted it before season and thought this is a good spot, but then you come in and there's acorns everywhere and, and the sign's not where you thought it would be, then you may just have to cover some ground and find where the deer are at. Cause a lot of times there'll be one or two trees that maybe the acorns taste sweeter or something, but they'll, they'll often favor, you know, one tree over the rest on, on years when there's a whole bunch of them dropping. Gotcha. And then you're just looking for tracks and, and, yeah, you know, fresh tracks, fresh droppings. If I get it, if I get underneath an oak tree and there's acorns on the ground and there's caps that have been cracked from the deer biting into them and there's fresh droppings, uh, and I start looking for a tree to climb then because that's <laughs> like that's where they they have been feeding. They were probably there earlier that day and they'll probably be back. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. So then I wanted to, I know earlier I said, uh, I didn't want to get into bedding. So now I'm kind of thinking about if I'm, if I'm going to that acorn or that oak tree and I'm finding the acorns, I'm finding the droppings. Um, how are you kind of figuring out where, where the deer are bedding? Like what, what leads you to go, okay, they're bedding generally over here in this area or something of that nature. Uh, usually we're on, a lot of the places around here, there's a thicket somewhere close by. There's thickets everywhere. I treat any kind of thicket as potential bedding. Okay. Um, especially if you got trails coming in and out. Um, that buck I talked about earlier that I killed last year on the Oak Flat, um, I believe he was staging between bedding and the destination food, which was a private ag field. But up on that Oak Flat, I, I'm pretty sure they were bedded just off in that drainage. It was open hardwoods. They didn't have much thicket. So they were coming out of open woods, but I think they were using the terrain in that instance to bed. So pretty much anywhere you can't see into or get to without spooking deer is probably where they're going to bed. And that just, it depends on the spot you're hunting. If you're surrounded by thicket, they could, or surrounded by open woods, they could come from anywhere. But sure. if you've got a very, very defined hollowed, like say a thicker drainage or just a, if you're on flat ground, just a big cut over, and it's just in one area, they're probably going to come out of that one area. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, and then if it's, if there's thickets all over the place, then you're kind of into that, just bump them and figure it out type of take, phase. Take right? a gamble. Yeah. Take a gamble on the wind and hope they don't come from your downwind. <laughs> right. Uh, that makes sense. Um, so then another, another thing that um, I wanted to talk about was kind of like, you know, you do a lot of public land hunting where you're walking in you're going in and everything what is like a, a setup for you like are you like are you bringing in like a lone wolf and climbing sticks are you running a saddle or what are you what are you doing there 
Um, usually a saddle. Okay. I, I actually got in, I switched from a climber to a portable lock-on a couple of years ago. Hunted out of the lock-on maybe three or four times tops. And then I uh, borrowed a sit drag saddle from a buddy and had to get a rock climbing harness. It's like the, the poor boys version just to get started. <laughs> and uh, since I started using that, I haven't touched the lock on. And then I got a tethered mantis last year and now I've got the tethered phantom with nice. the predator platform. And it, it does exactly what I need. It's super light. I fit everything in a backpack, even my camera gear, just a cheap backpack from Academy. Yeah, and it, it does everything I need. I can get up most trees. It'll get up just about any tree a lock on will. And then you know, depending on the situation, I might come in and sit on the ground too. Okay, gotcha. Are you using like climbing sticks then too? Yeah, I use I use climbing sticks. Okay. Do you what ones? Do you have a preferred one that you like, or is it whatever? Honestly, I haven't tried but one or two of them. I, I got a deal on some used lone wolf sticks and uh, they're a little bit on the long side, but the way I strap them to my backpack, it works out. Okay. Sure. Uh, Hawk heliums are real popular because they're a good price point and they're lightweight, really portable. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a whole lot of options. There's the real high end sticks, the beast sticks, the uh, timber ninjas. Yeah. Super, super lightweight. The shikars. Um, yeah. The shikars. Uh, I really haven't tried that many of them, so I don't have too much of an sure. opinion on which is the best. No, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm kind of in the same boat there. I was just curious. Um, I have the Muddy Pro sticks, so those oh, are. Oh, I forgot with the cam cleats. Yeah, with the yeah. So those... I bought those before, like the the Mini Hawks came out or whatever. Yeah. You know, and I actually bought them with a lone wolf. I bought the Muddy Pro Sticks with a lone wolf um, hang on for like, I don't know, I think it was 300 bucks for the for the pair, which was a, kind of a, expensive. But then I sold, I sold the lone wolf to a friend for 180. And so then I got my sticks for 120, which I thought was pretty fair. Um, cause yeah. those muddy pro sticks are like 160 or 170 brand new. So yeah, yeah, they're high, but they're, I think they're popular for those cam cleats. You just take the rope and slip it in there and it locks down there that I, yeah, I mean, it is like, it is very nice. And then the other big thing is like the lone wolves only have a, a one step per side. Whereas yeah. the, the, I'll be honest, that's probably, that's probably what will make me switch sticks ultimately is the is the option of double steps and they have modifications people machine double steps for the lone wolves but i'll end up just getting new sticks in the next year or two <laughs> um yeah but yeah i mean they works for me like i've i've got two no maybe three i've got three this will be my third season i think with the lone wolf sticks okay and, and they get the job done but uh yeah. yeah having having the double step would be a good option and i did switch out the uh the lone wolf cam buckle straps i switched them out for the tethered uh versa straps which oh like, sure eight foot strap weighs like less than an ounce or something crazy like that yeah and so those those have been pretty sweet for like just for a little modification there and you can do that to any stick that has a button sure no that that makes sense um 
Yeah, those those are pretty slick. I don't uh I actually so I run an arrow hunter saddle. Um and for me I had the manis. Um and then I tried one of the arrow hunter saddles and it just it just fit me a little bit better. And oh, yeah. For sure. anybody listening about like the saddle kind of thing, if you're really interested in that, I think saddles are kind of like boots. Like just because the boots fit me well doesn't mean it's gonna fit you well. That's so for sure. I I really, really wish like retail stores would start carrying them, but I know then the price would skyrocket, you know, because retail needs their hundred percent markup. So yeah. um I you know, I like I think you just got to try a few and if you can ever get to the trade shows, not that they had them this year because of COVID, but you know, maybe next year they're going to have some or something like that. If you can get there and start trying some on and just figure out which ones fit you best. That's for sure. I've heard a lot of people prefer the, what's the, what's the, uh, the Kestrel Flex. Yeah. That's the popular one now. Yeah. I've it's heard their, a lot of people yeah, they speak. Actually, it's their only one right now. They discontinued okay. all their sales were so much higher on that cash yeah. flags. They discontinued everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, it's like boots. You got to try them. If you, if you try one and you don't like it, try another one because everyone's a little different. Yeah. Um, I've definitely, I've heard a lot of people switch from the Manus to the Kestrel uh, just for comfort issues. And, and I've had a lot of people who like the Manus better, but it's, you got to go try them out because right. they're both really, they're both really well made uh by saddle hunting gurus and and it's just a matter of preference really yep i whole wholeheartedly agree with that and it's funny because like people you you would read the forums on the internet and people would think that you and i can't be friends <laughs> there's, there's been some drama in the in the industry that's for sure but uh right. I'm, I'm just in it to kill deer and, and use what works so uh, me get too out there. if you're interested in saddle hunting get out there and try a few of them uh, you can even, if you, if you want to just bite the bullet and buy one and you don't like it, the resale value on most of the higher end saddles is pretty good right now. So Honestly, you probably dude, get, you probably I thought about buying, back. I thought about buying a bunch of them and holding on to them until like until they sold out. October 10th and then be like, Hey, I got one, but it's an extra 20 bucks <laughs> and people would buy that, it. That's the thing. If you, if you're, you want to try one, but you don't want to spend the money and lose money on it the way the market is right now, you probably won't lose money on it, especially <laughs> right. going into deer season. So you try one, if you like it, stick with it. If not, put it up for sale on Facebook marketplace in the, <laughs> or in the saddle hunter groups. Yeah. It'll sell pretty quick, especially during deer season. Yeah. And then, for and then sure. try the next one. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I haven't done it. I haven't bit the bullet yet. I've used a platform once. Um, just for like a half hour, 45 minutes when I was out messing around with a buddy. But since then I haven't used one. And, uh, and I just stand on the top of my stick, the top of my fourth stick. Really? You don't um, put any steps on the side or anything? No, I don't have, I don't do anything else. Um, I just put my four sticks up and stand on the top one. I have a hard sole boot. I don't wear like a muck boot or anything like that. Um, so I have a hard sole boot and I think that helps me a lot with the comfort of that. Um, yeah. I still get, I wouldn't say I get 360 degrees of shoot and I probably get 300, but I just try yeah. to set up better, you know, um, yeah. which I think. Having those, having those side better. steps, having those side steps really helps with getting your 360. 
Okay. Um, when I started with the sit drag and the rock climbing harness, I used three, three wild edge steps as a ring of steps. Sure. One, one in the front and two on the sides and it worked fine. Okay. The only reason I don't use them anymore is because I got a platform now and it's so much easier. Yeah. But those, those wild edge steps, they, they work fine. And, and I would say, I don't know what they're selling for now, but they're probably cheaper than most platforms and a great way to start out. And three really of them for them. sure are cheaper than a platform. Yeah. Like I, tell you. I think or, they're like 15. I think I, I had them for a little bit and I just, they're, they're great for like packability and being small and compact, super compact. Yeah. But they like, yeah, I could just set up my four sticks so much faster that I was just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna run this. I just ended up grabbing the sticks every time. So I was like, I, I'm just gonna yeah. sell them. So I sold them to a, a buddy and he, he loves them. He uses them. All I the haven't, time. I haven't sold mine. I keep them there just to have them, you know, just in <laughs> case I need them. One thing yeah. I did like about using those before I switched to the platform was I would use three as a ring of steps, but if I was in a pinch and I needed to get a little higher, maybe the understory was too thick and I had to get a little higher, I'd use one of them to get an extra step higher than my sure. sticks would now. And, and, that, and I would still have two for my feet, which was enough to hunt out of, and then I could use that third one if I needed a little extra height. Yeah. Or you can just carry two and use your top stick and as the put middle. two on each side, and, and that, that would work perfectly yeah. well. No, that is a good idea. I might have to try that. I sold them all, but I might grab another one just in case. <laughs> yeah, that's why I haven't I haven't sold them because you know, you never know when they might might come in handy. Uh, I think having a platform now, I don't think I'll ever use them as a platform again. But having them in the bag, if I if I think I might have to climb a little higher than usual, uh, yeah. it's good. It'd be good just throw them in the bag. They don't take up much space, and and you'll be able to get you know a couple steps higher up the tree if you need to, depending on your setup. Sure. Uh, makes sense. Um, all right. Well, what else? I mean, we kind of covered like the whole gamut from scouting to, to picking a food source, um, to bedding, to setting up. Um, are you setting up on field edges on public or no? Sometimes I have killed on field edges, like cut cornfields. Okay. I've set up. I've set up on beans. Like really unpressured or what? Uh, early bow season, when it's hot out, there's just not as many people in the woods. Okay, and yeah. If, if someone's been in there, then I'll go somewhere else. But a lot of times, uh, I think this year, there's going to be more people than usual. So it could switch. It could toss things up a little bit, you know, make it a little more difficult. But um, generally speaking, when it's, you know, 85, 90 degrees, the beans are still green. It's super early. If the beans are planted late enough, they might still be green or say they just cut the corn. Um, it's not too hard to find a field that's not getting hammered by, by other hunters. And if, I mean, a lot of times you got to have the intel that the deer are hitting it. Like maybe you drove by one evening and you saw like five does and a buck out there or something and they're coming out of one thicket. You know they're coming out of that thicket. And then go in there when the wind is right. I like the wind blowing down the edge of the field or blowing into the field and then set up, find, walk the edge slowly, find the best trail you can coming out of that thicket, climb up in a tree. And uh, I, I've done that a couple times, like fresh cut corn. Um, and I killed a doe but three or four years ago. I, I killed 
a doe the first three days of the season. One in public, one in private, and then one in public. And the third <laughs> one was in a fresh cut cornfield. The reason I hunted there, because I saw a deer like a day or two earlier. And I said, well, all right, they're, they're hitting that corn right now. I need to climb that fence rope. And sure enough, I killed one. <laughs> nice. That's yeah, the kind of thing I, you jump on when it's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I always feel like field edges on public are really good just the first couple days of season the first maybe the first week the first two weekends if no one's hit it already that i would um, agree and the last and the last week of season yeah everyone's quit yeah everyone yeah everyone's quit and it's well in wisconsin it's usually about five degrees so there ain't a whole lot of people out there <laughs> actually had that uh two or three seasons ago last week into season Drove by the gas station. It said like six degrees. They had a ther- like a thermometer on the, on the yeah. sign. For like six degrees that morning. I go that evening, and there's some snow on the ground. The sun goes down. I got my 308. It's a wide open field. It just got hammered through gun season, like from muzzleloader, just two weeks long through rifle, which is over a month long. It it just you know, it's one of the more popular spots that I stay away from during gun season. But that last weekend, it got bitter cold. People hadn't been hunting it near as much in the past week or two. And sure enough, there's like five does that come out in the middle of the field and I dropped one there last day season. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Uh, Great way to end it. Yeah. For the field edges, I'd say very beginning, very end of the season. Uh, not that you won't kill one in the middle of gun season in a field because, you know, when the rut's going, I don't know if your gun season coincides with the rut or not. It's, it's usually the here. tail end. But anyway. Okay, yeah. Usually uh, the, our rut's getting good right around muzzleloader season, so there's a ton of people in the woods. So people still do kill bucks because they're running does everywhere. But uh, the best time to get away from pressure is, you know, early season and really late, you know, before, you know, yeah. before and after the big wave, the Orange Army. <laughs> right, yeah. My uh, The property that I get after close to my house um, – generally the first opening weekend maybe there's like five vehicles at the various parking lots you know maybe one vehicle per parking lot or something like that and then there will be none until maybe i actually there's a father and son and one other guy and they're like there are four of us hunting this i think the piece is just under a thousand acres you know four just four of us and um and I know the other three guys, I actually watched them where they set up and stuff. They don't mm-hmm. even go a f- 300 yards from the parking lot. Like they don't go very far. So pretty much everything past that I got to myself. Um, yeah. But those numbers just slowly creep up and it's like someone rings a dinner bell on Halloween night. Cause then everybody and their brother starts coming for get those. First... Weather. You get that good weather. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But yeah. And then the pressure really picks up until like, just like you said, for, you know, for us, it's the, you know, the last two weeks of December and first week of January or so. And it just really dies off, you know, and it also really helps because then all the deer are kind of pigeonholed into specific food sources and specific bedding areas. And you can get real, real lucky then too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, man. Well, we've got been on at least an hour. I don't know what the time is anymore, but um, 
but is there anything, any piece of advice, like one piece of advice you'd give people who are getting out and getting after it in the early season? Like, you know, one of your best pieces that you can, that you're free to give out. Um, I could give out a few. First one that comes to the top of my head is hunt where the deer are, not where you want the deer to be. Oh, that's a good one. I love that. You don't can't, you can't spot. make don't a spot, spot good. Because, yeah, it, it looks good. Every, it's pretty. It's got oak trees. They're dropping acorns. Yeah, well, there's no deer sign. Don't hunt there. Or the wind is bad. Don't hunt there. Hunt where the deer are, not where they want to be. Yep. That's, that, yep. that's one just off the top of my head, the one piece of advice I would give. Because we're all guilty of it, myself included. I'll, I'll go hunt a spot. I'm pumped. It's, it's a good spot. I've been waiting to hunt it. And then I go in. I'm not seeing the sign I want to see, but oh, I'm going to hunt it anyway don't see anything yeah so. no that is a that is a great one i made a video a while back on that same thing you can't uh you can't wish you can't wish a spot into being good right yeah no, you're <laughs> at the mercy of the deer here and you gotta you gotta be where they are to kill them and uh yep. in some states you know you could bait them in or whatever if baiting's legal but even those states don't usually let you do that on public so Right. You're pretty much at the mercy of and even if you did bait and the deer were catching on to you you can't make them come to a bait pile even if it, if it was legal and you're hunting over bait you still got to be where the deer want to be so right no that's a that's a great one i i really like that one all right well before we sign off tell people again i told them kind of beforehand but tell people again uh, uh where they can find you so my main platform is YouTube. My channel is Catman Outdoors. And then probably the second best place to check out my stuff would be Instagram and then Facebook as well. My uh, username on Instagram is at Catman529. And then on Facebook, it's just Catman Outdoors. And I do have a website as well. That's okay. CatmanOutdoors.com. And that's about all I got. I don't have a... Uh, don't have TikTok or anything like that. <laughs> TikTok's banned now, man. It's gone. Well, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I mean, someone's going to buy it or whatever, but yeah. I, I figured, yeah. Oh, man, I never got into the TikTok game. My neighbor's kid always wants me to do TikTok dances with her. Oh, <laughs> I God. just make a fool of myself. Um, yeah. How do – I got to – like, I've never asked you this, but how did, how did you ever get the name Catman? Good question. When I was probably like 12. Okay. I, uh, I got into fishing before I got into hunting. I was like, I think 11 when I started fishing. And I figured out how to catch channel cats down in the creek using crawfish for bait. And I got on some, some forum online and uh, had to make a username. And I was into catfish. So I, I just did Catman529, which is my birth date. And that just kind of stuck, you know through the years that was like my internet my username my screen name yeah. on the internet and so when i made a channel you know it was just like catman 529 at first and then i was like no i'll give it a name i'll just call catman outdoors so it just kind of stuck go. and it sticks the catfishing yep. man all yep. right awesome well thanks john really appreciate you coming on tonight and everything and uh you know, I look forward to the oak tree videos and then also the, uh, also seeing you, you kill one opening, see opening day. I hope you do. I hope so. Don't jinx it. I hope so. <laughs> I'm knock on wood right now. All right. Yeah. Thanks man. Catch you later. All right.